0: Welcome to the Behaviour Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I see how, uh, um, you know, and again, it's, you know, it goes back to this sort of, you know, systemic barrier in position that we we put on it. Like, I, I could totally see, I mean, everything you say about that collective family piece and you know I, I could totally see how that could be really you know valuable and 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 augment services you know i mean i it it's, it's often so difficult i mean in in sort of our kind of individualistic society to just to work with one family member um, it's often we often deal with them. often the mother you know um and that's that's sort of all, all we have and and uh, you know and when we try to sort of are there any other supports in the family that can help no no everyone's busy you know this is is often the case where you know whereas in you know in in, in these in, in these kind of cultural communities you know the the family the family is is the mother it's, it's everybody is, is is sort of together on this but we we might sort of avoid we might say that's a problem we have to deal with everybody we have to work with everybody you know and and so it's really about sort of changing kind of uh, the way we're approaching things Uh, bless you it's coming (laughs) everyone's watching as the the muted sneeze is formed um um, so yeah so i i I really like um you know uh, looking at things kind of kind of Kind of from 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 that angle, um, I was wondering. I do want to get into sort of you know uh, the article at some point here, but I had a couple more questions uh, around some of the other barriers that you folk that folks were talking about early on. Um, Luisa and uh, Mariella talked about sort of how um, and and everyone else I think to another to another degree uh their the work of their the focus of their work has been working with the, the latino population and the and latino communities in particular um, um and and really kind of enjoying that work and 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 I i think generally speaking folks at the, from the interviews i've done sort of around the world Folks would prefer to have services from someone from their own culture, from their own, that speaks their own language. You know, I think generally speaking, folks aren't looking to to practice English um, and uh, or whatever, and and have that opportunity. You know, they they would rather be able to, to do that. And so, you know, but, but what what I also have learned from a lot of the interviews I've done is that there aren't enough practitioners to sort of meet that need. You know, there aren't enough. You know either and it's not even spanish speaking because I, I mean i know uh interesting uh natalia your article that we kind of touched on when when we when in, in our in our first interview you know around even speaking the same language um doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be on the same page um uh, because there's sort of all these other other sorts of pieces and that you know the, the non focal verbal behavior and some of those other sort of grammar and semantics and all that can 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 really change communication so just because i'm from spain and speak spanish doesn't mean i'm going to do well working with um, someone who's uh, not um um, and but i was wondering about sort of um i've had a lot of conversations around the work that's being done to increase increase uh, the numbers of black professionals in behavior analysis and you know we've seen Lovely organizations like Baba are doing amazing work, and and uh, you know, and even and, and the announcement they made at their last conference about a about a, a behavior analysis program being at, uh, finally starting at one of the the HBCUs um, down in Florida, which is you know going to be a, a, I think a big a big help in getting more Black behavior analysts in, into the field. Uh, and I I know and, and about having sort of that representative, so I, I think. Black representation in the U.S. population is something like 14 or 15 percent, uh, but there's but the percentage of behavior analysts that are black are is, is, is hovering around 4 percent. You know, so you have kind of that that difference. And then I've and I've seen some numbers from some of your papers that I think the percentage of, of Latino folks in the U.S. is is much higher, like 20 plus percent. Um, uh, I'm curious. Number one, you know if 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 you folks know where the numbers are for Latino behavior analysts, um, um, and then kind of what's being done or what can be done to sort of increase those numbers. I
2: don't know
0: of- about the numbers per se. Um, okay. I think we might be in terms of, which um, I learned this from from Dr. Marlisha Bell of We're not the We're the global majority, mm-hmm. IPAC, right? Uh, individuals that I think in terms of the numbers with like the with the BACB, I think Latinos, Hispanic Latinos, are the largest, you know, global majority um, population. I don't know how to frame that, but um, minority, however we want to say that, um, and and I think we see this across um you know like non-white populations that we there's a lot of there's a higher number of um right like BIPOC individuals at like the RBT level right and then that number decreases as we go up the certification chain so to speak um but that's kind of the extent that I know about that um and you asked oh you also asked like how we can get maybe more right like Latinos in behavior analysis um I don't know. I think, and I've had this conversation with different people of maybe even just starting at the high school level of exposing high schoolers to what behavior analysis is, what our science is, um, you know, what we could do with our science and getting people there interested in what we do. Um, And, you know, I mean, I, I think having people who look like you makes a big difference. Like, I think if I had someone, if I came across someone in my grad program that looked like me, I think that would, that would motivate me even more, like bring up some, you know, spark some curiosity in me to you know, like, okay, what's, what's this about? Um, and that, you know, um, also kind of spills over to mentorship, right? Things like that, Um Yeah, I don't know. And I mean, but there's also conversations of, well, sometimes people don't want to go maybe all the way to become a BCBA, right? They want to stay at RBT level, which is completely fine, Um, right? Like not assuming or forcing people to keep going if that's not what they want to do. But I think as long as there are systems of support in place, I think that that's ultimately what matters and will help people thrive and stay right in the field.
3: I think in addition to that, uh, I have to say that uh, more efforts can be made to promote uh, international students uh, from Latin America in graduate programs in the U.S. So if you want to uh, increase the number of um, international uh, perspectives in your program, there are significant efforts that can be made uh, in general in grad school Uh, for example something that uh, it was uh discussed a little bit a couple of months ago in the list serve for teaching behavior analysis Uh, one of the things that schools can uh, start uh, is to register behavior analysis as uh, one of the programs in the steam fields Uh, that's uh, something uh, minor, but that has a lot of implications for international students. So just check in with the International Center of your university and check if your behavior analysis program is registered as one of the science fields. And they will tell you what is the paperwork to fill out, and that will significantly uh, affect your international students Uh, so things like that can be made to promote engagement uh, of hispanics latinos and even from our regions uh, and increase diversity in the field
4: i love that sebastian and and just wanted to really touch on what we spoke before that Even if we were to encourage, you know, um, Latin American students to come to graduate programs, then a change at the systemic level, like more specifically the schools and the graduate schools need or would need to stop the nonsense about making all these nonsense requirements that feel unachievable. Again, it's like the step-by-step step thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess for grad school, the check-off list is much more specific. And yet, when you read that, you're like, "I will never go. I will never go to the United States and study. This is impossible. I can't do that because it seems way too, way too much." Now, I do understand. I am not saying now probably people are gonna be like, "What are you saying about grad, like grad schools?" But in reality, is There are requirements that, yeah, they need to be in place. But there are also a bunch of other things that it's almost like they increase. It's almost like think of a ladder, right? A ladder. So think of the people who have the language, who have, you know, or who have come here for other experiences, whether they're tourists or whatever else. But think about coming here or or, or being in your country and then trying to, you know, to get to all these levels of the ladder. They don't have even the the basics over there or even an understanding of what that's going to imply in terms of um, like even immigration, visas, all these kinds of things. That is like even probably the first aspect. And that is so difficult, uh, especially at least in Colombia. It was difficult back in the day. I, I was denied the visa to come to study like a million times and my husband too and until we finally were able to and um and anyway so that's one thing but it's like when there's no the right supports and the requirements from the grad school are applicable perfectly applicable to you know to predominant culture then how people from other countries can can climb the same ladder with the same ease right so i I don't know if i am making myself clear but it's there needs to be other other adjustments or policies in place, requirements that instead of making you know the entrance of these you know Latin American people here impossible, they should make it more accessible. And and yes, and so that is why I was talking about sometimes the nonsense about requirements that are are beyond, and also that when you read that. You just think, I don't even know how to get that. And what if it doesn't work? Then what are my options, right? And like it's again the description and the step by step. This is this is a support. How we can make it accessible and actually compelling, you know, like or enticing for people to come. Um
2: yeah, so no, yeah, I think that uh...
1: I think, yeah, 100%, there's so many barriers just to even get, you know, into a university, let alone, let alone, you know, start a program. I had, uh, I remember I had uh, Kaylin Partlow on a while back and she's at RBT and down in Georgia or somewhere and she's autistic um, and she's also um, got a bunch of learning disabilities, dyscalculia in particular which is that kind of math related one. And I asked her, you know, are you ever going to become a BCBA? And she said, I'd love to, but that's never going to happen. And and I said, well, well why not? Because the only way that I can get into a university to take the program is if I do these ridiculous prerequisites, which includes this advanced math course that I'd have to take. And, um, you know, what's advanced math got to do with behavior analysis besides maybe you're going to be a researcher and do stats but even then you usually bring on the the stats guy from the department to kind of kind of do a lot of that for you anyway uh and so she she was essentially prevented from entering university not because of grades not because of inability to do work but because she couldn't do advanced math to get into a behavior analysis program and i would imagine there's a lot of you know these silly Requirements that um, have been in place for so long that prevent lots of people from getting into university that would be totally capable. And you think university they want your they want your tuition, so um, you think they'd be more open to kind of having you in there for that reason, if not for sort of those cultural reasons. All right, let, let, I know we've been having a really good conversation about a lot of the different barriers and some of the things we can do, but let's just talk a little bit about the article and kind of one thing that that, that you folks kind of came up with. Um, and in particular, I noticed, I know a couple of you were talking about uh, you know, Latino and, and, and family values and collective values being really important. And again, going back to your comment near the beginning, Patricia, about how it's often their own thoughts um, that that they're the problem and they're having the problem. And, and so I can see how, um, uh, uh, you know, especially with... Uh, so many of you go to UNR as well uh, i could see how uh, uh you know act seemed to make a lot of sense as as something to that that might be uh, uh, applicable here so uh maybe i just outlined it but um uh, what was the reason um, you, folks thought that this might be a good way of of, of providing services to families If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is contextual.
5: Well, Can I just start? I think there are many, many aspects, many mm. points there, but, sure. but I think we've spoken uh, and, and throughout the conversation about uh, a compassionate view and the accepting part, so I think um, that that's, would be the basic for practitioners to, to gather really uh, an understanding of where families are coming from and um, accept and, you know, further more than empathy we need a compassionate view of the situations and deeper understanding where they're they're coming from what it means to have a child um uh, without a diagnosis that they're struggling with that they don't know much in a in a in a, in a in a in a in a culture that is unknown to them um with all the stressors that that we know so um i think that is uh, an essential part um to have that um that softener view that even though we are going in with the with the best science and with the um, best approach and the effective um, tools that we that we have the empathy the compassion to to adjust uh, to make the adjustments necessary for us to uh, you know for the practitioners to understand really what it is to be in that situation and respond to the various needs that they that they will um, face. Um, I think you know at what we're talking about the that the diagnosis point, and you did say from you know it's it's good to to see that the families um you know. Bring their own ideas about what ASD is and the child, and what the struggles are. But even those families who seek the diagnosis and who finally uh, come to, to 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 the point where they're desperate and asking for help, they are very many, you know, very often um, faced uh, uh, with professionals that are, that who are um, rushing through the process that are expecting. Um, families to behave in certain ways and don't allow them to t- the time to tell their story, to, to, you know, t- because they don't have the tools to say what they're facing, you know, what the behaviors are. And often Latino families would tell you, uh, you know, they tell you through a story. (laughs) They don't tell you when my child uh, kicks, throws, when they don't tell us about the the pure topographies, they would tell us what happens when they go to bed and what happens when they are going to the loo, uh, you know, and that takes longer than actually describe, you know, just say the topography. So practitioners and, and clinicians get, Get quite anxious and and uh, frustrated by our families just telling all this stories. So I think acceptance, understanding compassion is a main main aspect here
4: and and I think that going back, I, I think I am always going to touch on the same things because I can help it <laughs> but um but if we if from an act perspective and 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 more philosophically speaking, from an interbehavioral perspective, we want to understand the behavior of the person in front of us in context, right, in interrelation with their biology, their culture, their history, their you know absolutely everything, but also yours as a practitioner. I think that although it's mentioned repeatedly and and brought up in papers on discussions etc etc there is I don't know what the barrier is I just guess that it is really kind of like an avoidance move you know when you see that something aversive is coming but the work you have to do on your own your own personal work needs to be there and there is not enough, not enough emphasis on that. People are crazy about act, and I want to do act and I want to be an act therapist, but do you do act yourself? Do you go to therapy yourself? Do you do the work yourself? And it's not happening. So it becomes like a like plugging in, you know, things here and there in outlets where they see it. Um so there is a disruption, there is a disconnect. There is a disconnect. And, and when when the practitioners, when practitioners don't do their own work or they don't know what it looks like or what it feels like to do this work, how in the world are are they going to make it work for the family when they are so far away from that, you know, from that experience? So I, again, you are part of the context of the person you are working with. So you can't deny or erase or put in the second burner of the stove yourself because whatever you do and say and how you use language is going to generate an impact on the person. But it's also it's giving you the data that you need to do something different, you know. Um, so, yeah, just to close it here, that emphasis on the practitioner as context. Um, and without it there's nothing I mean not to be pessimistic or to be annulative, but there's nothing I just don't I just don't see it like it's like um like having a I don't know like throwing a spaghetti at the, at the wall and hoping that some of the spaghetti sticks to the wall and it's like a guessing game and and it's only yeah the spaghetti at the wall but you don't even know how you're moving your hand. Or you're not feeling the spaghetti and is it like sticky enough to stick to the wall? So that work needs to happen. Practitioners need to to do that. So this is not for the families. This is not to make families do whatever they want to do. This is not, I'm going to do act because families, they are non-compliant. Or they are doing, it's it's not that. It's letting go of those agendas. But to let them go, you have to be aware of those. And to be aware of those, you have to do work on yourself. And the self-awareness in practitioners I see really scars, honestly. and so anyway, that's it i, I that's it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I totally agree that uh in my in my view for a, an organization that is receiving uh clients from a different culture uh some value clarification within the uh, therapy teams is encouraged. So if you engage in value clarification for each of the members of the team, it will help to approach that family in a different way. So uh, what are your values as a therapist? What are your values as a BCBA? Uh, And based on that, you can modify your relationship with that family because you're not seeing just the topography of, oh, just the family, just talking a lot of uh, problems with the car. But then you notice that talking about the problems with the car has a function and you are the context in which that behavior is appearing. And uh, you are the one that in some way represents the healthcare system. Uh, Something that we have to take into account is that some Latino families face a lot of barriers within the healthcare system, not ABA only, but in general. Uh, and then you go to their houses and you represent the healthcare system. There's a equivalence uh, relationship over there. Uh, you are the face of the healthcare system, and that's why they are expecting a little bit more from you. And if you engage in that value clarification, uh, you can work and engage in those committed actions towards those values, and that will change the way that you uh, interact with that family and with that client. So it's not just how can we help that family. It's just, it's also a matter of uh, growth within the organization, within the team, Uh, and for each individual, providing that service.
2: And
4: like touching on the point of values, just as, you know, the other, you know, aspects or like repertoires, skills, however you want to call them in ACT, it is, again, listening with curiosity, right? It's not, okay, so what are your values? The first time I was asked that question, I was like, What do you mean? Like, okay, well, not killing people and like, you know, loving the world and like not stealing, right? So, like, like it's really getting into like how do you ask again the questions? And because I'm sure that if you have been asked the question, probably you have also been confused. You don't know what to answer. And so the skill of reading for clients and and it is actually observing when the family is talking about something that they care about. It is all of them, all their stream of behavior, not just the content of what they say, but it is, it's everything, is their posture and their tone of voice and absolutely all the stream of behavior, right? On their part. We know when it is constricted or restricted. We know when it's under aversive control even if they're talking about something they care about versus when they open up and they smile and their eyes shine or something. Even if they're talking about something that doesn't look like or topographically like values or what you are expecting the parent to say, but that is, is reading those. So again, I mean, ACT is is wonderful and, and, and there's some, um, you know, a bunch of papers, you know, supporting um, the use of ACT with families, with, with with parents. But it is again, um, you know, the role of the therapist to, you know, to to take on this is not something I do to them, but I do with them. And that involves you. And and again, really like observing, staying there. I don't know how else to say it, embodying it. Um, so you can actually do the work, not just give them. A questionnaire to feel or or questions about like that. Like what are your values as a family? What do you mean, right? But it is it is that it is setting opportunities to observe their dynamics and, and so then you really get to see what's important to them. And and don't expect that it's gonna be on the surface. You have to dig. And as you dig, you continue to observe and then really find out what, what, you know, what the important thing is in there.
6: Um Something that I have found to, to be really helpful in, in my work with, with ACT and working with families, that it's almost like the ACT piece, because again, as many, mostly a lot, everyone on this, this panel has talked about, you know, the flexibility it offers and checking in on, on our own values and the work that we have to do of, of the context that we're delivering. So taking that into perspective, something that I I really enjoyed working with this is, is utilizing you know, almost like an act model with families separate from that. And not they're not separate, but almost like a one-on-one with families. And that almost allows, almost like built in those relationships, right? Because we talked about earlier on of, you know, having that, that sympathy with families. we talked about active listening, right? And again, those pieces, it, it provides almost like that good model of, of, the, all those pieces working together, right? We're not just going to go in and okay, what what are your values? Right. There's there's that buildup of getting families comfortable because that can be really hard to do with families if there's absolutely no rapport. It's especially with uh, I mean, with it with any family. But take into consideration Latino families. They're like, "What? What are you doing on me? Are you doing therapy on me? Right? This isn't what I signed up for." So building that rapport can be so important, and not and and how we frame things in the delivery with families too. So something recently that that we did with families is is working on mindfulness, right? Being present. Uh, families, uh, you know, if you if you act, if you know, I, I'll always. I'll start off with asking how families, right? Have you heard of, of being present, present moment awareness? They have apps, some families have no idea what that is. Um, but then when you bring it into to context, and, and what I've done with families in the past is talking about, you know, bringing it into something that they may be familiar. And again, going back to how we have to look at, at every family, so, so unique. And at this point, I had built up a relationship with that family that I knew this family was active in their church community that they prayed. Um So kind of bringing in those, those cultural pieces, things that were important to them and kind of weaving them in and adapting it to meeting those needs. So again, this bringing in act, I think allows that opportunity of, we talked about identifying those values, but how we're going to ask families to get to those values, right? Lining up a plan of, okay, those these are your values, but what are what are your committed actions, right? How are we going to check in on how we're going to get you closer to to getting closer to those values? So I think it's it it lays out a really good, flexible opportunity as practitioners to utilize with families. Um and I think that's that's why we feel that it's been so effective with, with several of the families that that we're able to work with.
1: Are you a solopreneur running your business alone and need help getting more exposure to your target audience while growing your brand? At Beale Marketing Group, we specialize in delivering comprehensive marketing solutions tailored to your unique needs. Our team of seasoned experts excels in crafting creative strategies that captivate your target audience, build brand authority, generate high quality leads, and streamline your business processes. Whether you're seeking a brand makeover, effective lead generation, or a plug-and-play solution that takes care of everything for you, we have you covered. Services can include strategy sessions, video editing, social media management, brand board development, and even a virtual assistant. When you choose Beale Marketing Group, you're partnering with a team of passionate professionals who treat your business as our own. We go above and beyond to understand your goals, target audience, and unique challenges to craft tailor-made strategies that produce remarkable results. Schedule your free discovery call today at bmgfreeconsult.com. That's bmgfreeconsult.com. The second secret word is collective. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. And I think this is where kind of, you know, and I'm not, I mean, no, by no means... Been remotely close to any proficiency in Act, see, none at all. uh, But where Act really differs from, I think, all of the other kind of technologies that ABA has to offer people is is that it seems to be the one where, from everything you've been saying, where you have to kind of do it. You have to kind of do it on yourself. Um, um and uh and I hear I hear a lot about this in terms of just folks wanting to get into act and people say I want to get into act, I want to get some mentorship or build my competency. And the advice I always hear is, well, you know, have you been to a boot camp or 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 have you bought that happiness book or whatever, you know? Um <laughs> Louisa, respond.
4: Are you sure that you want me to respond to that? I do, yes. Oh, my God. Well, yes. That's what normally, that's kind of like the course of action. That's what we see happening in the field, right? Going to an a boot camp and people experiencing some sense of what act means or might mean or might feel, right? And and because at boot camps, it, like often you encounter or or you are, I guess, confronted with, uh, I guess, your own experiences that you have not explored before. And then it's almost like it's, it's almost like drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Or like the Tampico. I don't know if Tampico will be in Spanish. <laughs> so when they drink the Tampico, then you're like on a high, right? And then you go there and they... You say, "Okay, this is what I'm gonna do. Tomorrow, I'm gonna do these exercises, and tomorrow, you know, and and so I, I what I see is that people tend to think that going to a boot camp or reading Russ Harris' book, The Happiness Trap, or The Reality Slap, or you know, any other book, and and they just have it all, right? They have it all, and it's almost like they close themselves to, you know, to whatever." you know the experience was in the bootcamp plus um plus the books and then they go and do it and they again forget about what are they doing like are like what is the agenda there the agenda is I'm gonna use this on somebody right this has to work but how insensitive can that can that be? Because the fact that some exercises help you um to contact either you know like um a petitive stimuli or not you can't expect that that is going to work or click as it click for you to, you know to do the same with families or with anyone that you work with so um i just say that that has to be a uh, an ongoing training and ongo- an ongoing work on yourself one book will never do it one bootcamp, which yes is a, is practice practice but it's almost like really go to a boot camp, like a true boot camp, like in the fitness world. Are you going to develop your muscles and be super strong after five days? Of course not. But at least now your hands were touching the bars and lifting and you know how hard that is. And now you probably know what you hate. Oof, okay, leg day is the worst. Or like, you know, you, you will know. You will know what your aversives and appetitives are. But that's just the beginning. That is just the beginning. And a book, of course, a book will never do it, because you really have to, you really have to be in contact with the with the work on an ongoing basis in order to learn. And also to expect that you're gonna make a million mistakes. And that is okay. But look for supervision, look for mentorship, continue training. This is not a one shot deal. Or one bootcamp deal or one book deal. It's not. It's not gonna end there. Um, so yes, I. I don't know if I answered the question, but yeah, just leave it at that.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't ask the question, uh, but um, uh, I was more talking about. You were. You, you definitely answered the question I was probably gonna ask. Um, uh, in terms of sort of. Kind of, kind of how act it differs from sort of other other ABA sort of technologies, you know, say like a DRA or or whatever. Um, um, in in that, you know, it's it's really those things are are things that are in a lot of ways done to a person. Um, um, and you don't do it to yourself. You're not in, you're not uh, you're not teaching yourself some functional communication while you teach them, right? Or or whatever. Um uh maybe we should be uh you know maybe 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 this is something we need to learn from act um but act is is, is 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 as you say louise and as i've heard before it's it's a it's a constant um um self-awareness practice in a lot of ways i i, I interviewed a, f- a few folks about the act matrix a while back um and uh and, and one particular clinician who uses who has a lot of success using the act matrix so Um, um, to build sort of teams in, in kind of group home settings. But she says, she said that every single time before that, the meeting that she, she, I mean, she does a matrix every time she meets with a family um, or or with a, with a group home staff team, but she also does one on herself every time before she meets with that team um, and us and does them on herself on a regular basis um, in order to sort of, you know, um, you know, do everything kind of you're implying. And, I think that that's hard for folks to wrap their minds around in this field that they've got to sort of a, apply the technology to themselves, um, um, and I think that's kind of what, yeah.
4: And sorry, Ben. And sorry because I answered another question. Yeah. You know. Uh, but anyway, and now I'm gonna answer the right one. Okay. <laughs> so, I don't think at at this stage, like right now, if you had asked me that question before, I would have answered differently. Mm. but what I can say is that act is not any different from behavior analysis. Mm. and just as just as like when I say that we have to be doing the work and and when you say well when, for instance, when we teach language and we or when you know we do or implement DRA DRO, um, but we wouldn't do it on ourselves. but in fact we are subjected to those contingencies of enforcement differentially mm. not, right? Mm -hmm. But if we were aware on a daily basis, what if we were aware of what contingencies are playing here? What if, you know, what what if we could pinpoint instances where, you know, DRA or DRI or DRL, you know, has happened, or any other principles, you name it, right? Same thing. If we brought awareness to that, trust me, we can point to absolutely every single principle of behavior analysis here in this conversation. And I don't see that. Being diff- I don't see act being different from behavior analysis and the principles of behavior analysis. So um, yes, so it's not different; it, it is the same. And there are there are papers and there are efforts in trying to translate these middle level terms, you know, that are depicted in the in the hexaflex, uh, the model of psychological flexibility. So there have been efforts to put those in terms of. Um, the principles right something that is accessible to us clinicians right or practitioners um and and the work has been done so there is it's just that the use of the middle level terms although we know what the ben, the benefits or the advantages they are um they tend to uh, uh, drive us away from exactly what we're doing and and how, and, and and to know if what we're doing is working or not, right? So, but the efforts have been made. We can talk about act in terms of the principles of behavior analysis. There's nothing that is not behavior analytic about, you know, what we do there. But again, the middle level terms throw us off, and we think it's something else, and and you know something beyond, you know, that. So, but it is not. Did I answer your question this time? <laughs>
1: I I don't know. Um, I, I know what you're saying. Like, like, you you did again. I don't even know if I really asked the question. So, um, but uh, you know, I think again, this is maybe just due to my, you know, lack of understanding of 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 act and and you know, and maybe to a, a lesser extent, my lack of understanding of behavior analysis. Uh, but um, um, it just seems like. Act practitioners and act mentors; those are those that are that are doing really good work. Typically, any of you folks that have come out of UNR um, um, really spend a lot of time talking about observing those contingencies in in terms of how we're involved in them when it comes to kind of act. Whereas I think, you know, whereas I don't, and I mean, maybe they do, but I don't think the sort of standard bcba rbt sort of supervision interaction spends a lot of time encouraging rbt's to focus on their own behavior and and how that plays in those contingencies and in, in, in those sort of contexts um and so you know i'm not saying i, I, I think you're i i i completely agree that act isn't different in that it isn't different it's just it seems like the practitioners of act are spending a lot more time focused on 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 that piece, um, which I think is really important, sort of across the principles. Um, and so, but it also I think can be sadly a bit of a turnoff for folks, um, that they don't want to spend time thinking about themselves or working on themselves and whatnot. I mean, I I've been going to therapy for 20 plus years nonstop and probably will till the day I die. Um, um, and uh and it's done wonders for sort of how I practice and how I do my work um 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 but I think a lot of folks wouldn't even think about it going there mariella I think you had a you had a thought yeah go
6: um I was gonna ask you have you have you attended an act boot camp just yet
1: I, I have not no
6: okay are yeah. you are you, you no right or wrong answer are you interested are you curious
1: I'm interested and curious I just uh I'm just so far away uh from these things it, it's access for me i uh I, I I was saying to someone earlier, I I went to Baba in June. It was the first conference I went to since twenty twelve. Um, uh, because I just I'm just too far off the map to to get anywhere. But yeah, I'd I'd love to go to one for sure. Yeah.
6: Oh, and I and I like the feedback I think Louisa mentioned of to keep going because the first time, and this was my experience, mm. you have no idea you, you know, you don't you have no idea what you're getting into, you know, you think you're just gonna go to a a typical ABAI conference, or, or you're not sure really mm-hmm. what you're getting yourself into. And it's, it's so different <laughs> to anything else. Mm. And, and it's, it's hard. There's like doing the exercises with yourself, doing them mm-hmm. with strangers next to you. It's, mm. it's very difficult in that moment. Um And then, exactly. yeah, like, like we're talking about, like you're just after you leave there, it is so, it's one of the most tiring and draining things at the end of the day because you, you learn so much about yourself. You're, you're actually doing that work. It's exhausting. And then going back the next day, you know, whatever that looks like. But then when you have the opportunity to, to go again, now you have an idea a little mm-hmm. bit of, Hey, I know what's going to happen almost. You think you know, you think you know. And then when you're, you're doing those, Those exercises, again, it's almost because, you know, like Lisa mentioned, going back and and continuing to do those work, to do that work, because you're, you're again in a different phase, right? You have different experiences now, and, and how that shifts. So I definitely encourage the the ongoing of of attending those, those boot camps, because it is a really different experience, too. Um, and something that I, I will echo to of what you mentioned of, of doing those those act matrices over on yourself. Something that I also enjoy doing is doing like the bullseye values exercises.
2: Mm.
6: So I to one, identify where those values are, what, what those values are for yourself as well as where they lie on the bull'seye. because again, even if you have those va- like your values can still be the same, but in that phase of life, they can also shift. Um, so I think that's that's really important to see it, and that's okay, right? Of you know, maybe in this time, this is more important or things aren't are necessary, I'm not necessarily living my life to those values. And I think it's also good to to understand, too, in that context of where that family is, too, if we want to bring it back to that perspective, too. because even if you're working with with a family within a, let's, let's say six months, so many things can change. And I think taking that into account too of just how our own values shift in those moments, we also have to have that perspective that things in families' lives can can also shift. So I think those those are where those those things can align and having that self-awareness of us continuously doing that work and, and understanding where families are coming from too.
5: What ACT has helped me with is to um to acknowledge and to realize to, to help me realize how I show up in my work with with the families and um and connect with the, the families in different ways because they are different and so I need to um, get myself to a different level and and realize that I um I am part of what they are experiencing. So whether my relationship with the parents is close enough or whether my, you know, what, what, what I'm suggesting or how, how I'm coming across in my practice actually has, a, is important, has an, it will influence the outcomes. So it makes me reflect how I am on that day doing what I'm meant to be doing with that specific family. So I think more um, that's in the professional kind of aspect of, you know, how ACT helps me connect with all the with with the families and with how I do things. Um, ACT aside, ACT has helped me, uh, you know, in my personal life to face my insecurities and my fears and my, um, you know, uh, thoughts about myself as a practitioner and um, thoughts about myself as a parent and as a migrant and as part of a different culture. And, you know, in all those aspects. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in my, in my practice, I also feel, um, that acts act helps me put myself, you know, in, in a in a different level, but not necessarily in an inferior level. Like many of us or I, I think, you know, many professionals who are um in in, in a different culture will feel less equipped. To talk about things in, you know, to to families in that culture, and specifically with the families in the uh, predominant of the predominant culture. So I think, you know, I I I have found a different voice in myself. To, to feel more secure in what I'm bringing to the family as well. So I not only work with with other fa- Latino families where I feel more at home, but I can also practice and work with uh, families in in the prevalent cu- culture. But equally, I would just be very aware of my own thoughts and my own feelings about how I can not be as efficient as you know effective as uh, coming across as as professional as other practitioners might be like and and dealing with those thoughts it's it has been hard for me but um yeah that's what it has been helpful
1: for yeah that that's awesome and also super scary you know i uh you know i think um you know I want to try not to go down a tangent here, but I do think this is one of the reasons, you know, folks are either afraid to go this direction, afraid to go the ACT direction, or even afraid to sort of admit that ACT is behavior analysis. And we've seen some sort of pushback on, 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 in those areas as well, because it, requ- it, it uh, I think it, re- it requires you to do that work on yourself. And, you know, I, you know, I I, I think it's awesome, um, but it's scary, and uh, you know, I, I think for a lot of folks, it would be really difficult to uh, to uh, to want to do this on yourself and uh, to think about these things on yourself. I mean, just even thinking about sort of the 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 sort of culture of again, you know, sort of against therapy in general. You know, in 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 the world, and it's it's very it's a very almost a very leftist kind of thing. The world sort of thinks, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to be kind of, and something folks don't realize how sort of strongly strong how strongly their their own values affect them that they're not even willing to sort of you know kind of do this kind of work. So. I think this I think it's it seems like an, an an amazing approach to things, but maybe maybe not for anyone. Has, has there is you know, and there's a bit of a, a tangent, but obviously you folks are all willing to do this work and I and the results of the studies show that you know it it it's uh it works really well with you know these populations and all populations. I mean act as more RCTs than anything else and They've crossed over every every possible, you know, sort of problem you can think of in the world, um, um, and and Act has been used really successfully to address it. Um, do folks find that there's a um, there is a struggle though to get sort of buy-in for Act from our field? In terms of sort of you know applying applying this stuff and, and wanting to do this work because I think this this is also a barrier in, in ways. You know, you found something that is really powerful and works really well with families and deals with I think it does help with a lot of the difficulties behavior analysts have with, with um you know uh, you know with getting their work done. And yet I th- you know, I think myself included, I mean, I haven't, I still don't do act, I don't know how to do it. Um, um, why haven't I, what's, what's keeping me from that? I think part of it is a fear of being vulnerable and having conversations with others about this kind of stuff. Um, that, that's what it is for me anyway. Um, um, but also I think part of it is just laziness and, <laughs> and some other things there. Um, it, like, uh, do did you folks see that as a barrier for getting more folks to want to kind of apply this stuff to, to their work?
3: I, I agree with you. Uh I think it's uh it is scary. I think it's difficult. Uh historically our field uh our verbal community has reinforced uh some uh engagement on rigid behaviors in consistency in being systematic uh and that was in a relation of equivalence, in in a sense, with Hmm. the rejection of these uh, new procedures. So I I completely understand that this uh, could be a difficult move for some of the members of our community. And I understand that it will be uh, really difficult for some of the members of our organization, for example. If I receive a client that may benefit from some accessions, I can understand that some of my RBTs will be prepared for that, but not all of them. And that's something that we have to take into account. Uh, we all know that, for example, for the RBTs, the 40 hours is not enough uh, to consider that the RBT is fully equipped. Similarly. We cannot expect that just going to a boot camp will get you all the tools that you need to run act uh, with your with your clients or even with your team. Uh, so it's a it's an ongoing process. It's a process of personal uh, personal growth. Uh, but I understand that it will be a difficult move. Uh, I understand that it's scary. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, uh, something that you have to be aware is that as a VCBA, you need to identify what is the repertoire required to conduct some accessions, uh, and to identify what are the, uh, weaknesses, uh of of your team basically because uh not all the members of your team are equipped or are ready to engage in those behaviors but i think it it is worth it is that how you say it i think it yeah i think it's uh i think it worked if you if you engage in that behavior because that that increase your uh psychological flexibility that will decrease your uh, rigidity to roles that could be uh, non-beneficial for you and your clients uh, that will in some way may reduce the burnout within your team, uh, which is a common problem in the field. And that will help uh, in some way to take perspective uh, with some of the situations that happen on a daily basis. I will start with that. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I, I think that with acts, it's a lot of unknowns. And I think maybe the field is just afraid of all these unknowns. It's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. how we've never, we've steered away from private behavior, right? Things we, behavior we don't have access to. So how can we objectively measure and observe, right? All these things. But I mean, like anything, things evolve, things have to change. The contingencies have to change. And I feel like sometimes our field is resistant towards that um and I just I had these thoughts in my head and now they all disappeared before I was before I started talking um um oh gosh I don't even know um
2: I don't know maybe it'll
0: come back to me but um I think maybe in general right in society there seems to be a little bit more conversations about mental health You know, things like that. Um, So that that suggests that there's a need, right, for that. Um, So our field should shift towards that. Um, And as one of the unique things about being a human is that we have language. And so we need to have approaches to address those things, right? I mean, our principles work on, or I guess I don't know, I don't know if I want to say work on, but they apply to, right? It can influence behavior of non-human animals, but we have thoughts and we speak. And so we need to have approaches to address those things. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of maybe people think there's a lot of unknown. But I mean, I think that's part of right science is we have to do things, figure out things, see if it works, if it doesn't work
2: um, and evolve.
5: I just want to say that it feels strange after a while that people still say that, well, think of act like a whole dress, like I do act or I don't do act, is you have to be dressed up in the act costume, and it's not really, (laughs) it's, it, you can you can't start by just realizing how you impact others, how you know your perspective taking skills get to, to to the point where you realize that the families you're working with are perceiving you in a certain way that might influence their behavior and might, might influence the trust or the level of you know commitment that they have. And even that um, I think for me even that, point where you start realizing where i i how i present myself you know white uh, clinician you know representing the healthcare system my uh, you know generate and motivate feelings of anxiety or fear or whatever else um in this family when i knock at the door to provide services that that just that consideration is already dealing with you know, addressing those barriers that the other the families have, and that's that's part of act. That's considering how you present, how others perceive you, and how you can influence their behavior by you being there, whether they perceive you as supportive or not. That is already, you know, involving act for me. Um, and wanting to help, and being supportive, and realizing their needs, not just in the child's assessment. But the overall needs that we talk about um, is part of ACT. It's it's viewing the the bigger picture. Um, so there are all the specific little bits that ACT comes with, but you don't have to to have the um, you know the for the all or nothing approach to whether you do ACT or not. I often say I work within the ACT framework. Um, because that allows me a lot more flexibility as well
2: i
4: I just wanted to say something, and I think that even more helpful than act it is the you know the the philosophy underlying act, and so. In contextual behavior science, we talk about functional contextualism, right, and and that is much a much more you know broader approach than you know the traditional you know behavioral you know what like the for instance Skinnerian you know way of thinking. I think that part of part of the fear comes from talking about private behavior and overt behavior. And so when it comes to private, how... So when when I tell you, Ben, so we're gonna be now um, learning to apply something to a particular problem that has to do with, with private behavior, right? And then automatically you're going to be like, wait a minute, like that sounds like mystical even, like I don't know what I'm going to find, I don't know what I'm going to be confronted with. And um, and so interbehavioral psychology, the principles of interbehavioral psychology, I think interbehaviorism has a lot of um, important um, applied implications. And from this way of thinking we don't talk about there, there is nothing that i need to there is nothing inside the person right there is no other time or place that i need to try to account for in my analysis of the behavior your past is here and everything you do here is your biology is here your cells are behaving your behavior has been already shaped by systems and and other layers above that or or be, below, right? And so when we, I, I think that a philosophical standpoint is helpful in organizing the repertoire of practitioners. If we stick to a more linear, more I guess, you know, three, four, you know, even five-term contingency analysis, we might still, you know, come you know, close to something that we are not used to working with, and we're gonna be like, oh no, no, I don't think I I am fit, you know, to work with this. Or I don't know how to work on, on that, right? But if we were to take, you know, the the unit of analysis as you know your interbehavior and the person's interbehavior right in this interbehavioral field where absolutely everything is present is in front of you then then maybe i will say that there is no much organize, organization of your repertoire about looking for things where they are not even there you know what i mean so i, I don't know if i'm making myself clear but but so so i think that that and i don't mean to get into philosophy here or anything but but more than act is how is it we are under, understanding behavior and i think that has a huge implication when we take a more interbehavioral approach i think that's i mean that's all that's all we need in my view because once i have the person in front of me i don't have to be guessing is the person really understanding is the person why is the person not telling me I'm sure of this or I'm sure of that. I know that there are so many, you know, subtle things at the beginning when you're working with someone that they get to become more familiar to you and you get to understand better the person and the stream of behavior of that person in front of you. Um, and so anyway, I will just recommend for practitioners to get on Linda Hayes and Mitch Freiling's book. Um, I think I must have it somewhere it must be here this one do this homework do this homework i think this getting acquainted with this is going to solve a lot of the problems of approaching um act and just in general you know the work with you know with the people that you work with but even with yourself this is that this is the approach that has gotten me or, or has helped me get unstuck This is the approach that has helped me be more compassionate with myself. Um, This is the approach that makes me um, observe that and come to understanding that absolutely everything you do makes sense. And and we may not know or have or, or dissect the layers of context and the impact of those layers of context on your stream of behavior, but they are there, and although I cannot dissect them, I still need to account for the things that I am not. I'm not able to access in terms of that information. How were you shaped up to, um, and relevant to this paper culturally, right? To respond in particular ways. Um, so yeah, that's my two cents.
2: Awesome, love it. Um, that's a
1: great way, I think, to kind of bring us to a close and um and give some folks some stuff to, to to look at more. I'm glad you brought up that that book because I was about to ask and I'm not asking right now but I was about to ask what is interbehaviorism because I don't even know anything about that. Um uh, but you you you, already, you gave us a book so we'll we'll, we'll look at the book. Um uh, and maybe I'll bring someone else on to ask them what that is uh, next time or maybe I'll ask you that next time when I when I have E D on um let's kind of dive into that some more i do want to go back to this article just for a second not to talk not to ask any more questions about it but just to, to sort of point out that you can tell um that natalia was involved in writing this article because it uh it, it is a good this is a, because it because it's it breaks everything down uh into sort of actionable items it gives you actionable sections um that's one thing i loved about about your work natalia is is, is it's not just um um, you know, uh, talking about stuff. It it really it really gives you. Know, you always give folks stuff they can do, um, and really clear, nice bold bold. I, li- I like the bold headings and subheadings. And I don't know if this was all you're doing in the article, but it seems to be a a thing that happens when you when when you're involved in an article, that, uh, articles that I've read that it it just becomes a really easy to read and. And you know, lots of recommendations on what you can do. And I could have asked those questions today and, and you would have just ended up reading the whole article, but it provides great resources on types of assessments you can use, resources available in the field we can use, uh, dives into some of these um, these, these values that the Latinos hold, um, some common ones and, and talks about sort of how they apply. So. It's just a great resource, um, and you can really tell that all all five of you um, um, uh, put your heart into it. Um, uh, and so, I, I think folks really just need to read this and take a look. I think I think sometimes the titles of these articles throw people off too. If you're not familiar with sort of, you know, what contextual behavior is and those sorts of things, but you could probably remove that section altogether and just um, um, call it a. a Tools for enhancing cultural responsiveness and 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 folks who get a lot of, a lot of value out of that, so I really appreciate you guys doing this work and I really appreciate you all taking the time I'm sorry we lost mariella in the in the in the zoom boom um and uh yeah and and just thanks so much for 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 you all for coming on. It was that fantastic to see you and Sebastian again to meet you and And Patricia and Louisa and Mariella, for the first time, i have heard lots about you, so super fun. Thank you so much, Ben. Yeah, thank you so much. There is a lack of diversity when it comes to educational material depicting Black children in the field of applied behavior analysis. Human expressions gives Black and brown children realistic and detailed images of kids who look like them. Modeling everyday skills that may be difficult for them to communicate or express. At Human Expressions, the benefits of representation for black and brown kids in educational curricula are clear increased self esteem, reducing stereotypes, and increased validation and support. To learn more, go to www.humanexpressions.org. That's human, H U E M A N, expressions.org. The third secret word is family
3: Uh, thank you very much ben uh we have to say that uh we even have more resources so if somebody Mm. reads the paper and they need some more information we have some we have more resources that we couldn't include in the paper because of uh the the limit of words and the Mm -hmm. limit of resources that we can publish but um yeah feel free to get in touch with with us and we are free to uh, collaborate with you guys
2: yeah
3: well and certainly if there's any other resources you just want to share that we can add to the
1: show notes that'd be great too absolutely
0: yeah. Thank you. can I just say like one more thing I'm sorry yeah yeah please I, just, I think uh one for me like I want to kind of emphasize this message to when it comes to this kind of work of yeah we were talking about cultural values of a group but um I want to caution people to not Read the article and just apply it to every Latino that they encounter mm. because we, you know, people people might not have those values or how they yes. act in alignment with those values might differ. Um, and we we do mention that in the article in several places of these values may come up. You know, we use it to, like the word may or might um, uh, because we can't, you know lump people into a box just because they maybe come from one country or speak the same language or you know whatever it may be um and that just goes back to the importance of right us doing the work doing the work on ourselves which would also right mean doing the work for the families that we serve um so I just thought that that was that's important for people to keep in mind
1: yeah, no, that's a really important point, and I think just generally across the board, uh, which makes these sort of cultural responsiveness types co- types of conversations difficult, is that you always want to, you know, you you just want to get a list, you know, and and be able to take that and go in, but really it comes down to just being, you know, intentional and curious and and uh, and acknowledging your own biases and and uh, asking lots of questions um, individually. But at the same time, sometimes some of these things are just helpful to know going in that that these things could be in place. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, even as simple as, you know, uh, with some cultures, it probably doesn't hurt to take your shoes off every time you go in their house Um, and and you won't cause any problems. So sometimes those things are beneficial to you. Yeah, really great. Great. Thanks again for coming on, everybody. Thank
4: Thank you. Thank you. Bye.